not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled, where I've been telling my story of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my story there, and I invite you to share your stories here. Well, about 13 months ago, I was sitting in Starbucks at the local grocery store doing what I do every Wednesday when we're not on pandemic lockdown, and that is drinking coffee, reading the paper, or catching up on emails while I wait for my mom to do her grocery shopping. I take her to the store once a week. And uh, she gets her groceries and she likes to do it by herself. She doesn't want me to help her because it's her time. <laughs> and I have a lovely coffee. And, uh, and then when she's done, we go out for a little lunch. That's our weekly Wednesday. And I miss it very much. Uh, my mom is in a senior's home and is not able to have anyone in or out of her building. And she can't leave her apartment. So uh, sometimes we go and stand under her balcony and we're able to visit with her off the balcony. I put her picture on my Instagram page uh, not that long ago of doing just that. Before we meet our guests, let me tell you a little story. My mom and my sister thought that it would be great if mom had a bucket that she could lower off of her balcony so that when the grandchildren came to visit her, they could leave her little note cards and pictures in it and she could pull it up. Well, it turns out that is very very much against the rules and we can all understand why because you know that would be a potential contamination of the space that they're trying very hard to keep clean and safe for them. So mom and my sister got in a lot of trouble for the bucket incident. We're having a really good laugh about it now. But anyway, uh, she is doing all right and uh, staying very positive in her confinement in her senior suite. Well, as I said, about 13 months ago, while I was sitting having my coffee and waiting for her to get her groceries, I got an email from a, a listener of this podcast by the name of Les she wrote to tell me that she was about three months sober and she shared her story and uh, I sat there in the middle of the coffee shop in the grocery store and um, my eyes just filled with tears. I was just so moved because her story really touched my heart. Uh, a year later, she wrote back again and offered to celebrate her recent uh, milestone by telling her story on the podcast. And so you're going to meet her today. Her name is Leslie. This is her story. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, Jean. Thanks for having me here. It's really nice to be chatting with you and to spend some time with you. Thank you for offering to share your story. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Now, this is in conjunction with a milestone that you recently have. Do you want to tell us what that was? Yeah, this, I am um, right now approaching 18 months of sobriety. So this week. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, so you had written and said, you know what, I'm going to share my story as, as part yeah. of celebrating my recovery and I'm really happy that you're here to do that. So I'm going to turn the time over to you now and ask you to tell us about yourself and tell us your story. 
All right. Thank you. Um, I am uh, 58 years old and, um, yeah, I've been alcohol free for about 18 months. I am married. Um, we've been married for over 30 years and I'm also, um, a first grade teacher and I've taught uh, first grade for a little over 30 years also. Um, I'm a mom to two sons and it's, um, my firstborn son died a few years ago when he was 24. Um, his death was drug related and, um, his, his death plays into my recovery story. And I'll talk a little bit more about that, um, in a bit. My second born son, he's 23 and he lives at home with us and he's, um, finishing up college. Um, when I think back on my uh, drinking history, I was always high functioning. Um, I had a well-run family, happy household, well-respected at my job. Um, from the outside, everything looked great. I don't think anybody would ever suspect that I had a drinking problem. Um, my Growing up, I was the oldest of five children um, my dad was an alcoholic and I really only knew him as drinking my entire life. He had suffered a lot of trauma as a child and a young adult. And both of his parents were also, um, alcoholic. Um, yeah, he drank. It was just always, it was just woven into the fabric of our family. He was volatile when he was drinking, often violent, it was really a scary place to grow up. Um, as a kid, I can remember feeling very anxious a lot of the time and fearful, even, I would say, even terrified sometimes. Um, when I was about 14, that's when I can remember um, drinking for the first time. And I remember that it felt um, like a relief. There just felt like a peace right away. I felt, um, free that it was just a way to escape all of the turmoil and all the anxiety, all of the fear. And the, the friends that I drank with in our neighborhood, they came from homes that were really similar to mine. When I think back about it, we all drank excessively. I can remember getting sick, blacking out, um, and everybody else was, was, um, that I was drinking with, it was similar. We were all kind of the same. And I drank like that, that continued into my twenties. I can remember lots of binge drinking, binge drinking. And around in my early twenties, that's when I met my husband and we both drank, um, but my drinking was always different than his in some pretty significant ways because I never had um, like an off switch. And also I could be angry and volatile when I was drinking and it just seemed very random. I never knew when it would happen. Um, and, and then as, you know, um, as we, we got married, my husband and I got married and 
uh, when we had our boys, alcohol was not really a problem. It kind of just faded into the background. And as they got a little bit older and went to school, um, we started to meet other parents who drank like we did before we had kids. And they became our friend group very quickly. And we fell right back into that kind of um, heavy binge drinking. And this time it was mostly centered around friends and family gatherings. And there were lots of neighborhood get togethers and bonfires and parties, holiday parties, and um, just any reason really to get together and drink. And um, I can remember the binging and the blacking out and not being able to stop or set limits. And again, sometimes I would just have angry outbursts and they were always focused on my husband. Um, and I had a lot of shame about, about those episodes. And, but on the, on the other hand, there were times when I would go through periods where drinking was a non-issue at all. So, um, you know, in our marriage, it would always be discussion. My husband just couldn't understand why I couldn't just have like one drink or two drinks and stop. And I would try to, to kind of moderate and it just never, it never worked. Um, you know, when I think about our family, my husband with our two boys, I just think of us as a close family. There was lots of love. There was lots of communication. Our kids always came first. They were very loved. And it just sounds strange when I say it out loud and think about that, having that they had a parent who drank the way I drank, yet there was so much love and caring in our family, but that was our reality. Um, the ending period of time with my drinking is really kind of hard for me to um, pinpoint and remember precisely. I just, I just can't really remember this timeline um, during this phase of my drinking. It might have been like the last 10 years or so when my drinking kind of shifted significantly. Um, it really felt like I had crossed a line where I started to drink alone more, um, you know, where maybe in the past I would have like one drink while I was cooking dinner now I would be having, you know, sneaking and secretly having a drink before my husband got home from work. And then I'd be on to my second drink around dinner time. And I can just remember sometimes serving everyone dinner and, and then I would just wait to eat so that I could finish my drink. It just, it never even occurred to me that I could just dump it out or be done. It was my focus. So and I remember starting to drink alcohol based on the content, the like beer and wine based on the content, the alcohol content that it held. I only wanted high percentage of alcohol and I wouldn't waste my time with anything else. Um, I would drink wine from a coffee cup because it was easy to kind of stash and hide. I would, I can remember putting it in another room and then just kind of like sneaking into the room to get a drink and going back and forth. And I would hide bottles of wine and, and empty um, beer cans and things around the house. And I would even, I remember staying up late. Everyone would be going to bed and I would say I wanted to stay up um, late. You know, I didn't, wasn't ready to go to sleep. I wasn't tired or I wanted to keep watching TV, but really all I wanted to do was just continue drinking. Um, 
And then it would start the cycle. I would wake up in the morning and swear that I wouldn't drink that day. But then like right around three o'clock or so, I would begin obsessing about it again and give in and just start it over and over again and again. And I, even towards the end, I can remember thinking how repetitive it was and just how much longer could I continue. Um, I mean, here I am in, you know, this is happening. I'm in my late fifties and I'm thinking, am I going to continue doing this forever? Um, I literally felt like I was just pouring it down my throat. So somewhere in this later phase of my drinking, um, my oldest son, he suffered an emotional loss and he went through some depression and he began to use drugs to numb his pain. And um, he progressed to addiction and it really kind of went on for years. It happened um, after he graduated high school and um, it just progressed from that time on. Eventually, he, he had some legal issues related to his drug use, and um, he said he was, he was stopping. He was not going to use drugs anymore, and his, his life really improved. He seemed normal. You know, I thought everything seemed normal with him. I just thought the bad times were behind us. He, he got his brain functions back where he could remember. He moved out of our house. He got a job. He went to school. Um, and, you know, I, I know a lot more about addiction now than I did then. And, and I have a lot of, um, a lot of guilt and a lot of, feel a lot of regret about how I handled myself at that time, because I continued, um, to drink and I think I influenced him I know he was in charge of what he decided, but um, I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the, um, I just wasn't prepared to be a mom of a kid who was going through addiction. Um, so we thought he was clean. We thought he was sober and he relapsed without us knowing. And his drug use led to his death. He, um, he overdosed. Um, and I didn't drink for months after that. I The, the grief was so all-consuming I it was not even a consideration um, and eventually eventually though I did begin to drink again and it was just like it went quickly right back to the, ba the way it had been before my son died so you know this was my pattern I would drink at this time and I would get so emotional about my son's death and I would start rehashing things over and over again. There was just crying and, you know, just out of being out of control with my sadness. And I was a mess. And on one of those nights, my husband just told me that he was hanging on by a thread and that he couldn't do this with me anymore. He just couldn't do it. And um, that was like a wake up call for me. That was it. I, I just knew I couldn't do that. I couldn't drink like that anymore. I couldn't drink at all. And I couldn't cause my husband and my younger son more pain than they were already feeling. And that was the last time I drank. Um, I woke up the next morning and, you know, I was committed to this idea of not drinking. And I talked to my husband 
and told them about the decision, but I was terrified because I knew I couldn't do it alone. I had tried to moderate um, and I just didn't know what to do. I didn't, you know, all I really knew was AA and I didn't want to do that. I had some resistance to that because of my son's um, experience there. And so I just, I remember getting on the computer and Googling something like alternatives to AA or sobriety near me. I, I just really don't remember. And I came across a list of recommended sobriety blogs and I scrolled down the list and I saw your face, Jean. And I was instantly drawn to you. I just felt a connection. And um, I read about the Unpickled blog and I, you just looked like someone that I could relate to. And um, so I started reading your blog and I started listening to the podcast. And um, the more I listened to the podcast, I started, you know, to kind of follow leads towards more um, online support and com communities. And, you know, I can say that the bubble hour became my lifeline because I had the voices of women who were just like me in my ears all throughout the day, every day. And I, I didn't even know that, that anyone else was out there like me. I had no idea that there were so many people that were going through exactly what I was going through. And just knowing that it fueled me, it, it gave me so much strength. And I can remember just saying little things to myself, like I am sober. I can't believe I am sober. And I would just sing, um, the theme song to the bubble hour over and over again in my head, just being free. And I never had previously considered that I could just stop drinking. It was not even an option in my mind. And it was just so surprising to me that in the midst of all my grief over losing my son, I could actually feel a little glimmer of joy in my heart. And um, it was, it was just, um, it was a gift. It was just a gift. And so as I was listening to the bubble hour, I heard a guest early on mention, um, a couple of podcasts and groups that she was involved in the unruffled podcast and she recovers together. And, um, both of those groups have become key in my recovery, um, and I began to trust myself, I think for the first time, trust myself. And I created my own kind of recovery. And I would only let things in that added to my joy, and my feeling of happiness. And, um, and I even remember, I looked at some early writing as I was preparing for this. And I just remember, Jean, that your, your attitude and your approach was so positive, And I just wanted more and more and more of that. Um, and now I, I just have so much joy in my heart knowing that I never have to drink again because, um, it's such a gift. I have, I'm constantly rediscovering who I am, what I like to do, um, how I want to fill my days. I'm, I think for the very first time I'm comfortable being alone with myself. I just never could do that before. Um, and I have lots of recovery tools that I put into place every day 
lots of routines and rituals that keep me grounded. And, um, and I'm so blessed to have um, in real life connections now with sober women. Um, I have a group of local women that I met through She Recovers together online and um, we meet up, we have, um, we have get togethers. And now during um, this pandemic, we have Zoom meetings all the time. And they are, um, they're some of my very dearest friends. I just love them completely. And um, yeah, I have a, I have a life that I didn't even know existed. So I'm, I'm just so grateful. So grateful. And that's my story. Oh, thank you for sharing, Leslie. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I am so, so sorry you lost your son. That's that's the hardest thing I think we can imagine and face. And and I'm sorry that you lost him. You were drinking during the time when your son was beginning to struggle with drugs. Mm-hmm. and um, And you have some guilt around that. And um, I think for any any of us listening to your story, it's easy to say, please don't feel guilty about that. <laughs> please don't feel guilty for coping. And um, but um, but I also understand as as a mom, it's really hard not to feel guilty about the places where we feel like we we missed something or we didn't do our best. So I understand that conundrum of knowing on one hand that maybe guilt isn't fair to do to ourselves, but also that a part of our brain wants to go there. Mm -hmm. As you look back on that time now, was alcohol helping you cope? Was it keeping, was it just keeping a lid on things for you? And did your use escalate through the stress of that period of time? Yeah, you know, like that's the period of time that's a little bit hard for me to remember, but I truly do think I was using alcohol to help me cope because um, I can remember, you know, I can remember being, I would, I teach school and I can remember being at school at the end of the day and not wanting to leave. I didn't want to come home and have to face what was going on at home with him. And um, it, there was a point, I mean, he, he from the time he started um, using drugs until he died, it was a seven-year period. So in the beginning, we really, my husband and I, we just really didn't know what was going on because he was addicted to um, Xanax, which looks a lot like um, when people are high on Xanax, it looks a lot like they're drinking. It, it mimics that look of um, having alcohol. And so he would be maybe with his friends and they would be drinking and he would maybe um, try, you know, he didn't make it obvious what he was doing. And when he would try to stop, um, he's, you know, he had seizures or he went into depression and had suicidal um, tendencies. But for me, even before I knew that, just the up and down of, you know, 
I do think alcohol was a coping mechanism for me and just a way to um, kind of avoid avoid it because it just seemed, I just, looking back on it, it was so muddy. I just can't even, there was no clear path, no clear choice, no clear, you know, decision. We had him in rehab. We had him at um, outpatient. It was just, you know, if he were a little boy with a problem, we could more, more or less make him do something. But as a young adult, it was impossible to, um, you know, control him and to make him do anything. And it was just, it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming for me when I look back. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. I, I really can imagine that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if addiction was already underway for you, alcohol use mm-hmm. disorder, um, and and it became a, a, a matter of just surviving those years, I, I can totally understand how mm-hmm. you um, were putting all your energy into just getting through. Have you since connected with other parents who have had a similar loss or have you, um, are you in any support groups or anything? Have you, have you been able to talk to other people about this experience who've been through something similar? Um, Yeah. You know, right after um, my son died, we, my husband was kind of in a fix it mode. (laughs) And so we, um, we started to go to a grief share um, support group, which was um, all sorts of people who had had loss. And and really they were, um, it was a sweet place to go for us because um, they were all older than us and they kind of mothered us and um, took care of us. But eventually we did um, seek out something that would be more specific to our loss. So kids, so parents who had lost children and Um, we went to two meetings and it was brutal. It was so heartbreaking and it just, it didn't, um, it wasn't helpful to me and, um, and my husband, he was coming basically to support me and it was, it was hard for him too. And, um, it just wasn't a good fit for us. So yeah, we haven't really, um, found what works for us, you know, without making things feel even more unbearable, you know. I found um, that being alcohol-free helped me process the grief of losing a family member Mm -hmm. because I could actually feel it and it sucked. (laughs) It was awful. (laughs) Um, I do feel though that not pushing the pause button constantly on my emotions, which is what I was doing with alcohol, did allow me to pass through all of the awful stages of grief. And I mean, you're never over it. Let's start with that. I would never suggest that you would be over losing a child, um, but grief is a process and in some ways it's a lifelong process. Do you, do you feel that since going alcohol free, you've been able to do more healing around it? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because even right after we lost our son, um, 
I felt like I, without drinking, because I, I totally abstained, it wasn't even on the table for me then, I felt like I was totally immersed in the grief. So I felt, looking back on it now, I can see how I really processed that because I did a lot of um, writing, I did a lot of sobbing, um, I just, I didn't, I don't feel like I avoided the grief at all. Um, so I think that was healing. And then, you know, when I started drinking again, I could, all of the things that were still there to, to continually work through were, I wasn't working through those anymore. So now that I'm, you know, completely alcohol free and in recovery, I do feel like, um, that I can, I can truly feel like sometimes, you know, I just, I'm learning how to identify my feelings and feel my feelings and, um, and kind of just experience them and, and know that they'll come and go, you know, that they're, it's not a permanent state that I need to panic about and, and change. I can actually feel it. And so, yeah, I have a lot more bandwidth, you know, where before, um, all I was doing was um, shutting it down. Yeah. yeah. That that sounds very hopeful, and I have to I have to think that just statistically, we have listeners who are going through the very thing that you've gone through, or or fear it as they are mm-hmm. dealing with a child with addiction. Um, so I'm wondering if you have any insights or encouragement for anyone that's going through this in conjunction with their own either sobriety or considering sobriety as they go through this with their with a child who's who's struggling with addiction Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I think that um yeah I think the best thing that anyone can do as a parent in that situation is to um remove alcohol from their own life because I I just know the clarity that I have now after doing that. And I just, I have to think that um, if I, if I had had a more uh, clear view or just, just an outlook, if I was alcohol free at the time when my, when my son was struggling, I just think, you know, I might've seen things differently. I might've reacted differently. Um, it would have been hard for sure because I would never have had any opportunities to just check out and be done with it. Um, and I, you know, I can't go back, but I certainly um, don't think it helped for me to be drinking, you know, at that time. What, um, what coping skills could be used to replace it? Do you think? Yeah, I think, um, I think it would be like a lot of the same things that I do now to cope. It's, you know, maybe, um, yoga, meditation, um, you know, exercise, writing. I just think I didn't even have any tools. I didn't have any other tools at the time. And, um, I just... I just think at least it would open things up, you know, when you're, when you're, um, 
drinking, when you have a drinking problem, and it's the same with my son with the drug addiction, I can see how small your world gets, you know, so everything is just, it's just a teeny tiny little sliver of what life really is. And when you take those out of there, your life becomes so much bigger. I just think that maybe there would be um, things that would present themselves that, you know, helpful things that could come along that maybe aren't even on your radar when you're, when you're so hyper-focused on numbing out, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. It's as if we have blinders on and the only, the only thing we are interested in is that one relief that we've come to rely on completely forgetting that the world is full of other comforts and delights and interests and ways to pass the time. Mm -hmm. And for me, recovery has been a lot about discovering these things or rediscovering them and, and learning that, uh, oh yeah, okay. There are other ways to comfort myself. Um, It takes a long time for us to train ourselves to only have eyes for alcohol. Yes. <laughs> it takes years to forget all those other things. We're committed. To enjoy. Yeah, yeah, we're committed. <laughs> it takes focus. Yeah. So um, it does take a while to relearn and, and to discover, you know, new things. And of course, as we get older, we start to discover things we used to find boring. I mean, yes. I, I can't imagine... When I was a teenager, I would have thought watching House Hunters International was all that interesting. But now, I mean, I can't get enough. Yeah. So definitely we get to know ourselves in a whole new way. Yeah. Um, another thing I'm wondering about your son is if, um, if you have kind of an ongoing relationship with him, with his memory or with, with, um, with your memory of him or even, you know, with, I guess with his spirit, does, is there something that lingers and, and heals and changes for you as time goes on? Yeah. You know, we are so lucky because, well, first of all, my son was a huge animal lover and, um, he, I mean, when, at the time he died, he had uh, one, he had a dog and he had three cats and, um, you know, we saw a therapist for for a while after our son died, and she said that may, it might have been one of the reasons he kept getting all these animals was because he, um, the animals wouldn't judge him, and he could have unconditional love, and um, so they were they were soothing and nurturing to him. So we have his dog, and um, his dog Bear, who is an absolute love and so we take care of him he's he's our boy now and um Mm -hmm. yeah he lives with us and he to me that was really um the best way that I could think of to honor my son is to take good care of his dog for him and so yeah that's lovely yeah and your son who lives at home with you Mm -hmm. I'm guessing you're uh, really enjoying your relationship with him right now and um are you able to to talk about things do you talk with him about your recovery and do you are you able to talk about his brother's experience and what's your relationship like with him yeah he um he is a complex kid he's um 
he's kind of old school, I would say. He's more of the, he doesn't talk a lot about his feelings. He's kind of um, the uh, stuff it down and keep on walking type. Um, but he, <clears throat> we do have our moments, you know, where he can talk and he has, um, it's been really, this has been a, a process for him. Um, first of all, it's losing his brother. They're the only, they were, you know, it's just the two of them. And it was, they were four years apart. That was his big brother. And, um, even before, um, uh, we lost his brother, my younger son has struggled off and on with some depression. So that's been an ongoing conversation and monitoring with him and trying to get him some some help and support where he hasn't always been, you know, open to that. So, but at least having him here, I feel like uh, I can keep an eye on him, you know. And um, when I told him about my recovery, that I had stopped drinking, you know, he he really, I don't think he ever thought I had a, any problem at all with drinking or alcohol. And I think he found it really um, surprising that I was, that I was choosing to stop. Even though I can think back of times when I was obviously drunk in front of him or um, he's, you know, he had seen me uh, under the influence of alcohol and it's, and not always in a good way. And, you know, I don't know if he just, maybe that was his normal. I don't know if what he, you know, but, but he sees now that, um, I don't do, a, I don't drink. And he's, you know, he has told me that he's proud of me for not doing it. Mm. Um, yeah. It's a complicated relationship with him for sure. Yeah. I can understand that. I can understand that. Um, yeah. you know, I, uh, one of my sons went through a uh, depression when he was uh, in his late teens. Mm -hmm. And I had only recently quit drinking at that time. And um, the uh, I went for counseling to ask my counselor how to parent a child with depression because I felt like everything I was doing was wrong. And it kind of turned out it was in a way. <laughs> Depression is counterintuitive. We want to cheer people up or, yeah. you know, get them up and get them doing things. And what she explained to me at the time, uh, her take on it was that people that are going through depression, it's like they're sitting in the bottom of a dark hole. And when we're telling them, come on, let's go for a walk or come on, cheer up. It's like you're shining a flashlight in their eyes and, um, it's not helping them and it's not helping them find their way out of the hole. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, and if anything makes them kind of huddle in there a little deeper. And she said, you know, what you really need to do is crawl down in the hole with him and sit there with him until the hole starts to go away. Mm -hmm. And being sober lets you do that in a whole new way um, because it's pretty hard to hold space for someone else if you're numb or drunk or asleep. And um, I really found I was just, I mean, her everything she encouraged me to do was, I had no idea, it was a completely uninstinctive for me. Mm -hmm. But the best thing was that I knew that being sober allowed me, as you said, that stillness that I never could tolerate before. 
and really allowed me to help him through that and to actually use some of the ideas and tools that she gave me to to help him through. Um, I'm just, my, my sobriety was such a gift at that time. And as you say, you're sort of a, also modeling a solution for somebody who still has to find their own way yeah. and, and still has to get well on, on their own. But um, yeah, I really, I learned a lot through that. And, and boys can be tricky. <laughs> Teenagers yeah. and or young people in general are tricky because we're trying to decide like what, how, where, what our role is as parents and what they really need. So I yeah. sympathize with you there. Yeah. Um, you talked about your dad and growing up with mm -hmm. uh, a father with alcoholism. And uh, one thing I, I say a lot these days, it's my, my catchphrase of the year, I guess, <laughs> I don't know, seems to come up for me a lot, is that addiction looks for differences and recovery looks for similarities. This has been my experience is that you know, when I was when I was very invested in drinking or continuing to drink, I looked for all the reasons why I was different than everyone else. Mm -hmm. And and sobriety has really taught me to look for the similarities, even in people whose whose trajectory of addiction or display of addiction looks completely different than mine. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, Leslie, yeah. as you look back on your dad or think about your dad, do you, are you able to draw any similarities between the two of you as you go through your healing journey that help you understand him better um, or make sense of his addiction in any way? Yeah. I mean, I, I can understand now that he, um, he was just trying to avoid painful feelings and, um, and I did that too. And, um, just to see that he just kind of his reactions, like he was, a uh, it's just interesting for, to me, like he was a, um, hard worker. He was high achieving, you know, that's the same thing with me in my career, in my life. And he, um, he was, he had this trauma from his childhood that he kind of buried inside. And when he would drink, that's where that anger and that, that was, you know, all that volatile behavior would come out. And, and I can see that that was the same for me because once you let down those defenses, then it's just free to run wild. So um, I can see a lot of similarities and I just, um, I feel, I just feel for him, he, he did in his later years stop drinking, but he never did anything for recovery. You know, he was, he had all of the same issues, all of the same hurt, all the same pain. Um, he never, he never really healed those, those, um, you know, traumatized parts of him. So that yeah. I wish, I wish he, I wish he could have done that. Wish he could have found some peace, um, but he didn't. And so for me, I feel grateful that I can, you know, move beyond just um, living in that pain because it's the reality. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what happened. That was my childhood. But um, you know, he truly was only doing what he knew how to do. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. I love the idea that when we heal ourselves, 
we heal on behalf of the generations that came before and we heal on behalf of the generations that come after. And, um, I really have sympathy for the fact that our father's generation, I mean, they didn't have the dialogue that we're having now about recovery. And sometimes I see on social media, some people that are, you know, pretty old school about recovery or who have had, uh, low bottoms and really traditional recovery pathways, which that's fantastic. That's working for them. And I, I celebrate that. And yet sometimes people that are, are really only know that way push back a little bit against the sort of lightness of the recovery dialogue these days or how there's terms like sober curious or trying sobriety yes. as if, you know, this is no joke, like this is serious. <laughs> but being able to talk about it in those lighter terms makes us able to talk about it in a way that our father's generations, our mother's generations could not do. It wasn't there for them. Yeah. It's almost like we're picking it up and looking at it. You know, it's not like, yeah. oh, we're turning it over and, you know, looking at it from all sides. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, that's where the shame is dispelled. I mean, we shine a light on it and there's no room for shame anymore. Yeah. And that starts with with stories like yours, Leslie, and people just being willing to tell their story and, and to refuse the shame, really. Yeah. <laughs> just refuse it. Yeah. It's not serving anybody. <laughs> um, the other question I had for you actually was about shame and being a teacher. Um, first grade teachers are, you know, when you say a first grade teacher right away, I'm thinking nurturing and sweet and you know, just lovely. Like everyone loves their first grade teacher. (laughs) Did you feel like you were living a double life? Did you feel pressure to be that sweet, perfect, always, always on kind of teacher? And it is, I I do get letters from teachers who say they're fearful of asking for help with their drinking because they don't want anyone to know. Like people are trusting me with their children. I don't want them to know I'm struggling like this. Did you feel all of that? What did that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I can remember thinking, oh my gosh, if they only knew um, what that every single night I'm going home and drinking, I mean, nobody would suspect. Um, and it is something that like at school, I am not um, open about my recovery, because there is so much um, judgment around, you know, there's just, there's just a different standard um, for for teachers, especially teachers of young kids, you know, because you're almost like in a mother role for those kids. Um, so, I mean, at work now, uh, people know that I, that I'm not, that I don't drink anymore, that I'm alcohol free, but I do think that with things like sober curious and things, I think they think of it's more like a cute little, Oh, she's, she's trying on um, alcohol free for a little while. And, um, but there is also a very, heavy drinking um, culture in with teachers. And, you know, it's because the job is, it's very stressful. And um, if you don't learn how to pace yourself through the day, which most teachers aren't doing, <clears throat> by the end of the day, there has to be some kind of a release. And so there's a lot of drinking, um, a lot of talking about drinking, a lot of getting together to drink. And um, it's, it's just part of the culture, you know, so that 
when I when I kind of talked about it with a small group first at a meet a little meeting at school that I wasn't um, drinking. I mean, people were they don't they didn't know what to do. Even my boss said, "Well, what do you do after work?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know, I do other things. Like I do, um, I'm into a lot of creative things that I used to love to do. I'm rediscovering those. I'm I'm painting. I'm crocheting. I'm." Um, watching TV and doing, I'm going for a walk. They, you know, people are just, um, they were just at a loss of what you do if you're not drinking. So, yeah. How does, how does your alcohol free lifestyle help you in your job? Do you feel like you bring more energy to your work? Does, does it feel different to you now? It absolutely does. I'm, um, I'm not hungover in the morning. So, you know, as hard as you can try to be um, positive and and uh, calm and loving, if you're hungover, it's it's easy to be irritable. And so, you know, I feel like it's just more. It's just easier for me to be calm and relaxed. And you know, I have I'm conscious of when the stress feels like it's building up in my body now, and I can um, take some breaths and. You know, my my students are small enough that they'll they're willing to do anything I want to do. So if I say, you know what, I think we need to stop and take a few breaths right now, they're willing to do that with me and um, just you know helping me kind of uh, disperse some of that tension throughout the day helps helps me when I get to the end of the day too. It's not like I need to. It's not like a steaming you know a pot that the lid's ready to just pop right off of. It's it's kind of been monitored through the day so yeah it's a lot different now oh that's tremendous Mm -hmm. my oldest grandson is five and having visited his kindergarten class as a a helper a few times I am in awe (laughs) of teachers (laughs) of those early grades of any grade really but especially those early grades I just I can't even imagine how you do what you do so that is that is so wonderful that you are able to to really show up for yourself and for them fully and, and to enjoy your job. I can hear that you enjoy your job. Yeah, and that's, I do. that's really great. Yeah. I've really, really enjoyed our time together today. Thank you so much for telling your story. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Jane, for everything you do. Oh, it is my honor. Um, before I let you go, I just wonder if you have any closing thoughts or, or final words you want to say to anyone listening today. Sure. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that, and um, I just want to reiterate again, when you're drinking or when you're, you know, when you have an addiction, your life is so small, and when you just remove that, no matter how hard it is for you, your life will open up, and it becomes spacious, and then you have room for so many beautiful things to grow. You can't even imagine. When you're drinking, you cannot imagine the beautiful life that you can have if you if you just remove the alcohol from your life. Um, there are so many resources available. It doesn't have to be traditional. You can make your own way and it's just so worth it. Thank you again, Leslie. You're welcome. 
Listeners, if you would like to send a message to Leslie, you can email thebubblehour at gmail.com and I will make sure that she gets your message. I'll also be putting links in the show notes for some of the resources that Leslie mentioned. The Unruffled podcast, which is a great podcast. If you're not listening to it, you better. I think you'll really like it. As well as a link to learn more about She Recovers and you can message them and ask them about the She Recovers Together group as well. And they actually, during the pandemic, they have twice daily uh, Zoom meetings for women that are in recovery from anything and everything. So if you identify as a woman and you either identifying as being in recovery or seeking recovery from anything, uh, those groups are there for you as well. And uh, I'll put the link up for that. That's all for this week, everyone. I hope you are all looking after yourself. These are unusual times. And um, we really, really have to put a lot of extra effort into staying well. So I'm thinking of you. If you need anything, please reach out. People like me that do this recovery advocacy, we have a little extra time on our hands and we don't mind helping you find the resources that you need. So please do reach out. That's all for now. Until next time, everyone, please do take good care. I did that, not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free from the power Weakness had on me In a dark corner is where shame Strong just cause you'll keep it on the side. It just stays and wait there to rob you of your pride. Turn the light on, turn the light on, you can shine. When you see the old, I did that. Not proud that that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity. I'm not looking for excuses, I just want to be free. Just want to